0: The first reading for today, the fourth Sunday of Easter, is from the Acts of the Apostles, second chapter, beginning in the 42nd verse. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common The epistle reading is the first epistle from Peter, 1st Peter, 2nd chapter, verse 19. This is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: according to St. John, the 10th chapter. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. grace, mercy, and peace be to you, from God our Father, and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ is risen.
0: Is risen indeed.
1: Our first uh, reading from, uh, from the book of Acts today could have been written by St. Thomas. And I don't mean the St. Thomas who was a disciple, I mean Thomas Kincaid. It's a lovely and peaceful scene, isn't it, sitting there. Our reading is from the very end of chapter 2 in Acts. And it follows hard on the heels of the day of Pentecost. That reading is first and then this is the very last paragraph in that chapter. Yeah. Pentecost, when Peter stands up and gives uh, his first sermon to the crowd, and and uh, the Holy Spirit is moving there, and three thousand people are baptized. Like the Kincaid painting, this reading from Acts is all light and harmony, and uh, the gospel is having its way, and the church is in its infancy, and the words of the apostles are being taught to the church words about Jesus, they're meeting together, they're sharing the Lord's Supper, people are selling their possessions and taking care of all of those who are in need and the church is growing and the Christians are held in great favor by everyone. And if you could listen to a Thomas Kincaid painting that's probably what it would sound like. Of course we can't extrapolate this scene into the future of the church. What Luke writes for us here in Acts is like one single frame in the movie about the life of the church. And for that one moment, that one frame, everything is good. And we might today have a hard time relating to that scene. When you examine a Kincaid painting you might imagine what it would be like to be there. Some of the favorite scenes that we have maybe of those paintings. Uh, The the sun is setting, the lake is there, the stream is flowing by the single cottage house, there's smoke rising from the chimney, you know, snow on the ground maybe. Uh, And maybe for a little moment there you're kind of experiencing that peace. And then you kinda shake yourself and come back to reality back to the real world and you remember that this idyllic scene doesn't really exist. You live of course in the real world and we know that the church lives in the real world too. A world of persecution, a world of pain, a world of intolerance, a world of increasing hostility. It's been estimated that around 100,000 Christians are killed each year around the world for their faith. The destruction of property, churches burned, imprisonments, these are not uncommon in other countries. And even in America, in the land of religious freedom, there's pressure on the church to fit in with the culture around it and even in Christian churches we hear about things we don't want to hear about scandals, embezzlement embezzlement of funds, sexual misconduct misappropriation of money, things that give the church a black eye and have the world telling the church to clean up its act before you tell us how that we how we should behave And these real-world battles with sin aren't just out there, not just in the church, but they're within us too, aren't they? Maybe not the big headline battles that we see sometimes, the public scandals, but problems sometimes that only we know about or maybe a, a close friend. But they're still battles. And they leave us bruised and wounded And we nurse wounds sometimes from other people who have sinned against us as we struggle to forgive as we have been forgiven. You put all of it together and it doesn't look much like a Kincaid painting. It certainly doesn't look like the blissful scene that Luke paints for us in this section of Acts chapter 2. But you don't have to read on in Acts very much farther to know that the church didn't exist without problems. In chapter 4, real hostility raises its ugly head as Peter and John are arrested for preaching the risen Christ. In chapter 5, the church faces a real scandal. You have Ananias and Sapphira who sell some property and they want the notoriety for their generous gift but They lie to the apostles, to God, to the church and say that the the amount of the sale was this much and here we're giving it all when they weren't. They were enriching themselves besides. In chapter 6 we find that the Greek-speaking widows are not being taken care of like the Jewish widows were not getting the attention that they should. And these were all very real problems and it's easy to idealize the church, the early church but Luke is teaching us that those believers in Acts existed and worshiped in a world just like we do a world that has problems, a world that is quote, real. Just look at Peter's letter that he sends to the church in our epistle reading. He says, this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Beatings, (laughs) sorrows, suffering, this is a very different look than what we see in our Acts reading. Where the followers of Christ are having favor with all of the people. But now we see that persecution has come to the church. And what does Peter write about this suffering? To this you have been called. To suffering you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps and it would be easy to imagine that the church of Peter's day would look back to those early days of the church as the golden years. I mean we look back at at that too and call them that, the church's infancy. Peter is actually writing this letter from Rome and an interesting note Uh, Because we call it 1 Peter and 2 Peter, that doesn't mean that that's the order they were written in. In fact, it's likely that they were not written in that order, but that 2 Peter was written a while before 1 Peter. They're just put in order of length. If you look at the letters of Paul, it's the same way. They're just in orders of length. So 1 Peter is longer than 2 Peter. That's why it's in that order. But he writes this letter from Rome, and it's apparent that there is great suffering going on. Uh, Very many scholars believe that this is written in 64 AD and 64 AD is also the year that Nero begins his persecution of the church. And we see maybe some of that in Peter's uh, writing there uh, that you are called to suffer. How is the church going to deal with persecution from the emperor, from the government? Peter points to the example of Christ, encouraging Christians everywhere to accept sorrow and suffering as Jesus did, which even led to his death on the cross. And Peter's exhortation to the church is not an idle one. It's not one that he doesn't believe in or partake in. In fact, it's believed that in Rome there, later that same year that he penned this letter, Peter is going to be crucified. Upside down, because he doesn't want to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. But death is going to come to him, martyrdom, for his faith. Peter says that Jesus when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter says imitate Christ in your sufferings follow his steps follow his steps as sheep as sheep follow their shepherd and is there any place that you would not follow Jesus as sheep of his flock. Will we follow him through the storms of this life? Will we follow him through pain, through disappointment, through loss? Will we faithfully follow our shepherd into the valley of the shadow of death? Peter and the apostles did. The early church did. And they serve as wonderful examples to us today, part of that great cloud of witnesses that the writer to the Hebrews talks about, encouraging us to bear up under those difficulties and the persecutions of this life. Peter writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." Peter says that Jesus was an example for us, but Peter knows too that Jesus was much more than an example to be emulated. Jesus Christ was not simply just a good man who went in a good way to his death. He's not just someone who lived a good life, who left us some pithy sayings, having demonstrated maybe for us how to keep God's law, so that God would be happy with us, so that God would be pleased, so that God would open the gates of heaven to us. If Christ was only our example, then he's nothing more than a Gandhi or a Buddha, or George Washington for that matter any number of people who are dead and gone, whose lives might serve as example for us. No, we follow Jesus. We follow his footsteps as his sheep, precisely because he's not just example to us. Rather, he was and he is the good shepherd of his sheep who died for our sins, who rose from the dead, earning for us eternal life. And this Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is so much more than just an example of how to please God. Jesus himself pleased God. We have sinned against God, sinned in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. We have demonstrated time and time again that we are not worthy to have God open the gates of heaven to us. We're not worthy of eternal life with Him. And yet Jesus says, I am the door. He invites us to go through that door, to enter through Him. And a door leads someplace. Jesus says that through Him we will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus warns that he is the door, he is the only door. I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus gives us this interesting picture of a, a sheep pen. And it would have been that shepherds in those days Um, with their flocks out in the hills there, they would band together at night for protection of the sheep. They'd build an enclosure, maybe out of rocks or branches or something, and it'd be kind of circular in in nature probably, but it would have one doorway, one way in and out. And all the sheep would be put in there for the night, and then one of the shepherds would lie down in that doorway, not letting anything bad come in and take the sheep not letting any animals, not letting a thief or a robber. And Jesus paints this picture of this and says if somebody's climbing over a wall they're not the shepherd. They're not there to help the sheep. They're there to hurt the sheep or to kill them or to steal them or something like that. Now the chief thief and robber of course is Satan. And maybe you could make the case that Satan climbed over the wall into the Garden of Eden and meant harm for God's sheep. Called out to Adam and Eve to follow Him. It wasn't the voice of the shepherd, but Adam and Eve listened to that voice. It was such a beautiful voice. He offered his voice, Satan did, as an alternative to God. Follow me, follow my voice, and your lives will be better off. And don't we hear that call today, that sweet and enticing voice that says that we're simpletons to believe the Bible, that old antiquated tome that talks about things that are just myth and legend. Join with the crowds. You want to fit in, don't you? Don't be such a sheep. There's so much fun to be had if you'll only follow Satan's voice, you see. And our fleshly ears perk up. And we wonder if there might actually be something to this, if there might be greener pastures somewhere else. On another path, maybe there would seem to be less suffering, less pain, less hardship, no persecution, a smoother road. And then St. Peter reminds us. Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The Gospel writers, Saint Paul with all of his letters, the writer to the Hebrews, etc., they all remind us that Jesus Christ is the door. He is the only way and in him we find good pastures and quiet waters and the restoration of our souls. We were straying like sheep. We were once following the siren call of Satan. But then came the day when you were baptized, when the pastor stood over you and sprinkled you with clean water, cleaned you, washed you, put God's triune name on you. And you became one of Jesus' lambs or maybe it was the the day when the Holy Spirit worked in your heart because you were hearing the word of God, the gospel being preached about Jesus, about his life and his death for you what he offers you and you believed and you know the goodness of your shepherd not only the example of goodness but the goodness that he imparts to you the goodness that God accounts as yours for the sake of Jesus, who gave his life for you, who shed his blood on the cross to redeem you the one who rose from the dead, the one who lives today and lives eternally. You know the goodness of your shepherd the one who calls you daily to follow him even through suffering and pain and disappointment and through the valley of the shadow of death. And where do we find the strength to follow? We find it in the green pastures of His Word. We find it in the absolution. We find it in the pronouncement that all of our sins are forgiven. We find it in the Holy Supper of Jesus' body and blood. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we know the voice of our shepherd. We know his great love for us. Love that leaves nothing lacking, but provides everything for our good. Forgiveness, and life, and peace, and rest for our souls. Christ is risen. He is risen Amen.